Roger, welcome to the Wellspring podcast. Lovely it's, to be in Wellspring. <laughs> it's really, really lovely to be able to spend time with you, so thank you so much. I first discovered Roger on his Instagram, which is at rogerphillips underscore redglasses, which I'll include in the link. And then about six months later, I was at the Good Life Experience Festival in Wales and Roger was there and he took a group of us out foraging, looking for mushrooms and then did a cooking demonstration. So it was really wonderful. And so I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to spend a little bit of time with Roger in London and have a chat. Okay, well, <laughs> lovely to see you and yes. smashing that you were able to get to the, the Good Life Festival. Yeah. I think it's the best festival. Yeah, I do. It's really, really good. So, yeah. so, well, I'm now becoming quite ancient Yesterday I was 87, so I hope I'm still going strong, I'm, you know, still working. Um, and I believe one should be still working. I don't believe in such a thing as retirement or anything like that. Mm. It's just a way of lying down and dying, quite honestly, as I see it. So for the last about 45 years I've been writing books. Um, mainly the first sort of 35 books were sort of plant on different plants, mm. on wildflowers and trees and grasses and ferns and mosses, mm. and then mushrooms, which became a really big thing for me. And so they're, they're identification books. I photograph everything mm. and put them together and try and write a text that will be applicable to everybody. So in the mushroom book, for instance, I put the spore sizes and so on, if someone has a microscope so they can go that far with it mm. or otherwise as a simple description. Mm. How did you end up doing that? Did you well, always love mushrooms and plants? Or? Mushrooms, um, being ancient, as I said, um, during the war, the last world war, which um, you know, is millions of years before you were born, um, I lived with my grandparents on their farm to get away from the Blitz, I think. Mm. And um, we had terrific mushroom years, mm. ordinary field mushrooms. But I went out in the morning with a couple of milk buckets mm. and collected hundreds and hundreds. The, the, the fields were full of them. Mm. And um, I, my grandfather said to me, oh, we could sell these. So I gave buckets of mushrooms to the man who collected his milk every morning and he took them away and the next day he came round and gave me two or three shillings or whatever he'd got for them. So, I mean, it was, my, it was horribly commercial, my original <laughs> interest in foraging. Wow, and how did you know which ones to pick? Or did you just pick? Uh, I didn't. No. But my grandmother, mm. well, she didn't know much either, but she, if it wasn't an ordinary field mushroom, she mm. chucked it away. Yeah. I've since learned, since learned, of course, is rubbish because there's other wonderful mushrooms. Mm. Yeah. Was it a conscious choice that you were going to write 15 books about wildlife or is it something that you just happened? Or no, it just happened. As you went through the years, as I, you say, 45 Well, I, uh, my first book was on wildflowers mm. and with Pan Macmillan and it did terribly well mm. and they said to me, what next? Mm. So... I've always been keen on trees, so I did trees next. Mm. And then they said, what after that? And I thought, well, what about grasses? We've, you know, no one does books on grasses, really. Mm. And I did that. And they've, they've stayed, they've done quite well. They've stayed in print for ages. Mm. 
all those three books are now out of print, but mm. they were originally launched in the 1970s. So, mm. you know, they stayed in print for 25 years or wow. 30 years or something. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you must have had quite a bit of support from the publishers. To yes. Encouragement to carry yes. on looking. Yes. Photographing all the different species. But and... funnily enough, with my last book, I did... Um, the book before that was on foraging mm. and called Wild Food, and that's still in print and doing well. And I went back to my publishers and I said, I'm going to do a, a second book around the foraging subject. Mm. Um, and they said, oh, no, we don't want to do it. And I since discovered that it was a bit of a mess up, really. They probably would have liked to do it, but yeah. they sort of got the message wrong and... Right. Um, someone on a committee who'd never heard of me oh. said, well, we don't want this book, oh, okay. um, which was a load of rubbish. They would have done yeah. it, really. I should have been more persistent. So I ended up with a publisher called Unbound, okay. um, where it, it's um, you have to raise the funds yourself, mm. crowdfunding, yeah. publishing. So you put the proposition to them, and they calculate how much you're going to have to raise, and then you nag all your mates and friends and try everything you can think of mm. to bring people on board to contribute. And basically, they order a book in advance. Wow. That's how the money works. And that's... So the individual orders the book in advance? Yes, and they pay for it. That's how it used to be, I think. When well, the books were first, when books weren't so widely available, you you'd have what? the names of everybody who'd ordered it in the front of the book. Did they? Yeah. I've never come across that. Yeah. But they do that. Do they? Unbound. Put oh, the names of. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we've, we're now in proof stage with the book. Yeah. And that's it's really got amazing. 500 names in the back, not in the front, but wow. in the back of the people who've pledged. Yeah. That's and fantastic. So, you know, it's a sort of live contact, really. Yes. Yeah. And then they all get a book anyway. So. Yeah. I, um, I joined a club in London called the London Paris Romanticism Seminar. And it's all about romantic poetry. Yes. And they had a talk on at the um, Society of Sciences or somewhere around here in a really lovely venue where they had used to do all the, over, maybe a hundred years ago, they had the first science lectures. And the one of the people that gave a talk there was saying that when books were less widely available, when they were really expensive, people would pledge that they would buy a certain book and that would fund it. Yes. And they would get their name in the front, and then it became like a who's who. If you you know you'd want to have your name in yes, that person's in, book. in important books. Yeah, and yes. I thought being someone who's also written a book, I thought that's really interesting because I don't have that on this my book, yeah. and there's no way of knowing who's read it. No. But in a way, it's lovely to know all the names of people. Yes. Even to start with, who've read your book? It is true. It is true. I mean, lovely. in fact, I suppose the publisher holds all the emails, but yeah, I don't, so I can't. Oh yeah, get, yeah. Get back in contact with them, really, but yeah. If you've been writing, well, you've been writing books for forty-five years. Yes. Yes. You must have seen so many changes in the atmosphere of publishing, how things go with it, also with the advent of the digital changes that have come yes and publishing for my money made a couple of dreadful mistakes mm. so they're suffering and not doing terribly well yeah paper paper books are not doing as well as they used yeah um they've recovered a bit they're not too bad at the moment but 
uh, one of the things they did was abolish the net book agreement, which is a technical thing, which meant no one was allowed to sell a book under the list price. Yeah. So that meant everybody knew what they were doing. When you got a royalty, it was mm. a royalty of an official yeah. list price. And they abolished it under pressure from the supermarkets who said, we need to sell it at a discount, but we'll sell millions. Don't worry about it, it'll be much more financially viable for yeah. you. And it bloody well wasn't. No. Supermarkets um, sell five or six um, leading books, mm. mainly sex lives of uh, yeah. footballers or something like that. You know, they don't cover all sorts of things at all. Yeah. Mm. So... I think that was a, a dreadful mistake. Yeah. The other thing they did was they owned all the rights, but they let Amazon take over. Mm. Whereas actually the publishers could have kept all the rights yeah. and opened their world book site Yes. and just sold all their books online. Yeah. All publishers ganging together and selling their books online. Yeah. And that way the, the money would have stayed within the publishing. Yeah. thing but they missed the bet they weren't on the ball they d yeah. had no idea how it was going to go when everything went digital and you're on instagram yes and you post lovely things on there and i've also seen some of your youtube videos yes oh good and, oh yeah i love them i've seen one with murray lucklander <coughs> yes who i also really like yes um cooking picking fruits and vegetables in the garden right here yes yep. yeah and then cooking them and murray mm. was reading a poem Lovely. Yes. And yes. so you've really been quite embracing of it. Yes. Really. No, no, I, books and I find it very useful. Done fantastically it's, well. It's much better for doing the layouts and yeah. making sure the pictures reproduce properly. Yeah. It's much easier. You look at them on screen mm. and if they're no good, you stick them in Photoshop and switch the yeah. colour a bit or make them a bit darker or whatever. Yeah. So you can keep control of it and the reproduction is much better. Altogether, much simpler. We used to have to cut them all out and paste them on great big sheets. To, really? You know, before digital. And probably no one understands it anymore, but it was a hell of a business, yeah. actually putting an illustrated book together. Yeah, especially with all the, all the pictures you would have had for all the different... That's right, and all yeah. the captions. Mm. And they were all sort of pasted on a sheet. Wow. And so you had things like, in my wild food book, which started yeah. out like that, the caption fell off one of the pictures. So it just wasn't there when the book was published. Oh, right. Yeah, so all right. sorts of crap like that. <laughs> okay. So I've just, the last five years, moved to the countryside. Yeah. From out of the city to the countryside. And I've got a vegetable patch. Brilliant. And a fruit tent. Um, and so I've really loved growing fruits and vegetables. And, and even when I lived in the city, I always had plants at home. Yes. In the window and things growing on the windowsill. And... It's something that I think is really beautiful, really so wonderful, and I encourage it with it whenever I'm with friends or with clients. Yes. I always encourage it. Have you got any tips for growing for people who are maybe disconsidering growing, starting to grow something of their own, and maybe they live in the city? What's the easiest thing you, to start growing? You oh, something like nasturtium, yes, uh, yeah. which is lovely to eat. Yeah, in fact, I've got a recipe of my new book, yeah. which. I'm going to plug the book now. Yeah, it's, it's you, called of course. Plug away. World, I'm going to plug it for you as well. It's everywhere. called The Worldwide Forager. Yep. And it changed its title in the process of doing it because I started discovering 
things that had been foraged in other countries, which I've included in the book, and lots of them, you, uh, a good example is hostas, which are common garden plants. Wow. Virtually everyone with a garden has a hosta. And they were originally vegetables, grown as vegetables in uh, um, Japan yeah. and probably in China as well, okay. which is where they came to Britain from. Okay. So they're now terribly common, but right. they were rare plants from Japan. And the Japanese ate them, wow. and they're delicious. And no one eats them, of course. So, you know, I'm yeah. reintroducing the sort of foraged plant, yes. as it were, to gardeners. Yeah. Many of us have become so removed from the process of foraging yes. or being able to be self-sustaining and know what foods you can eat to grow yes. them or even recognise them when you're foraging. Yes. Mechanising? Recognising? So recognising them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, probably because the, the process of being fed has become so mechanised. Yes, it in has. supermarkets. And it's horrible. I hate yeah. supermarkets, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I love farmers' markets. Yeah. I think they are the the supermarket for the alternative way of life. Yes. Which is what I believe in. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I've That's okay. you, yeah, I'm distracting I'm, you I'm from your you. question. So I was going to ask about the, um, the... So the best thing people can grow if they were going to start on their own? Maybe at home nasturtiums? Well, nasturtiums <laughs> would grow in any little yeah. pot or window so you, pot. So for, for a complete beginner, you'd buy them in seeds, would you? Or? You'd buy seeds, yeah. yes. You'd get them anywhere online, obviously, or in any, any shop that, that has them. doesn't matter what colour they are. Yeah. And they're all delicious. You okay. put the flowers in salads, but you can eat the leaves. I've got a, I was just about to say, yeah, I've got yeah. a recipe yeah. in my new book, which is just deep frying the leaves. When, it, when I say deep frying, because they're about a millimetre thick, you need about three millimetres of oil to fry them. Okay. That's how deep yeah. the deep frying is. So you just pot them, pot them in a frying pan, two seconds they're cooked, and then you lift them out and they're crisp and delicious. They're yeah. sort of forage crisps. <laughs> yeah. That's true, yeah. And you can eat the flowers as well. You can eat the flowers, yeah. you can eat the seeds, just, um, eat the whole plant. You can just eat them raw? Yes, yeah. yes. The, the seeds are quite hot. Okay. And the flower's just a little bit hot. Okay. And you can, I read somewhere, and, and I did try to make it once, like a nasturtium seed capers. Yes. Like pickle them. Yes, yes. That I'm sure you nice. could. I haven't yeah. done that, but I'm yeah. sure you could. That's one. So nasturtiums are a place to start. They're the easiest thing yeah. in the world, I think, to grow. Yeah. Everybody can start with them, yeah. and I love them. Then they billow out all over the place. Yeah, they're no good in winter. No, you need to have something like potatoes or okay. or some root vegetable. I grow two or three different funny root vegetables. One is ochre, which is like a potato, quite small but bright red. But the skin is bright red. And it comes from South America, where the potatoes came from. Yeah. So they come from um, South America, and they're absolutely delicious. And they grow terribly easily. Yeah. You just stick one in, and it'll grow. But you have to wait six months before you can harvest it. Yeah. But, so whilst you're growing your nasturtiums, you'll need to push in a few bits yeah. that you can eat then in winter, yeah. when there isn't much the fresh green things are finished. Mm. Mm. by and large yeah and do you feel that foraging for food or growing your own food has that been part of your 
I suppose a wellness practice or part of your that's something that's very sustaining to Yes, well I was sort of We've got as I said I when I having a visit from the, the cat. During the war it was about yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's speedy. <laughs> Beautiful. He loves people. Does he? He'll probably jump all over you in a minute. Um, I went to school in a little village school near my grandparents' farm. There were about six pupils, mm. and there, quite a few of them were ba- babies as well. Mm. So God knows what it was. We didn't learn much, but we used to go out and collect nettles in yeah. the spring and cook them. They'd cook them up. And we had that for lunch mm. and fed the babies mm. with the, with the um, boiled up nettles. Wow. So they were keeping sort of foraging thing. This is in 1941 or mm. something. Wow. Hell of a long time ago. It yeah. existed. Yeah. 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 And so what did you have a... How did you get onto mushrooms? Well, through... I started with, with collecting them with my grandparents, as I said. Um, but... Then when I was doing my wildflower book, yeah. at, particularly when I got onto the late wildflowers, mm. the hellebores and so on that grow in the woods, I, was, I would be walking about looking for these wildflowers yeah. and see different mushrooms. And I thought, God, I don't know anything about these things. Yeah. I've got to learn Stop that. Yeah. So I joined the British Mycological Society and they organise mushroom forays at the weekend, or they yeah. did back then, which is quite a long time ago, and I think they still do, and you could go out with an expert at the weekend for two or three hours, and he would help you identify what you found, and that's sort of learning from the bottom up, it's the only way of doing it. You have to actually learn, and you have to handle the same mushroom 30 times till you're absolutely sure and you can recognise it. Because it can be quite a dangerous business, can't it? Yes, I mean, obviously... It's well documented. There are a few, there are only very few deadly poisonous, but then there are some more that will give you a tummy ache and upset you and make you sick or something. Out of the whole fungus family, I've got nowadays in my latest edition of the book, there are 1,500 different mushrooms. Wow. And over half of those are inedible, either too tiny or too tough. You know, the brackets that go on trees are like rocks or wood. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't possibly eat them. So lots of them are inedible. But then after that, there are a lot of edibles and a few poisonous ones. You've got to learn. You start with the poisonous. Learn the deadly poisonous ones so you never touch them. Are they quite nutritious, mushrooms? Very nutritious, yeah. yes. They're not... Um, in terms of protein, uh, they're... Better than vegetables, mm. but not as good as cheese or meat or a heavy protein mm. food. But they're really quite yeah, good in protein. Yeah, really quite good for you. So, and, and they're very good for building up immunities. And they're a natural food. Well, you know, I've got a sort of rough idea of your sort of philosophies. Yeah. And I've come at it from a completely different point of view. I'm... Very interested in American Indians, Native Americans, if you like. I prefer to call them Indians. And I follow a tribe called the Nez Perce, who were in Western North America. Okay. And they were eventually overtaken by the, the, the gold rush, and God yeah, knows yeah, what, yeah. and pushed off their land. Their main chief 
uh, is quoted as saying lots of things. Um, one of the things he said, which was very clever, was you can't eat money. White people are obsessed with making money. Uh, Indian people lived off the land and they believed that the earth was everything. So everything came from the earth. And you have to look after the earth. You yeah. don't mistreat it. You look after it and it will supply you with your life and your warmth and your heat and your water and everything else. So they, and of course they foraged and um, probably you'd disagree, they ate animals obviously. I, I mean hunt, hunter-gatherers. Yeah. And they were still managing in that way in about 1880. Right. Until they were pushed off the land, the oncoming yes. invasion of so-called higher beings. Yeah. Mm. I, re I read somewhere that, um, that with mushrooms, the mushroom is the flower. It's the fruit. The fruit, the fruit, that's it. It's the fruit, yes. The plant is in whatever the mushrooms grow on. So if it's on the ground, the plant is in the ground and it's incredibly fine and delicate. So the strands of mycelium is, are much smaller than the roots of a tree. So they're like the size of a human hair, actually smaller than that. You can't yeah. see them with the yeah. eye. And so they're infinitely more able to collect water and trace elements that they need. And so very many mushrooms live in symbiosis with plants. So they yes. supply the plants with water and trace elements and the plant supplies them with sugars because they haven't got chlorophyll, so they can't build their own sugars with sunlight. Right. So that's part of the whole... Like us, all animals can't do that. Only plants can yeah. convert sunlight into sugars, which are fundamental for life. So they're, they're absolutely part of the circle. They're keeping the plants going, and the plants are supplying the food that yeah. supplies the animals. So the animals are the so-called higher form in a way the basic form is the plants and mushrooms three sort of form mushrooms are just as important as plants yeah. and animals it's really incredible isn't it yeah i mean it seems to me like mushrooms are having a bit of a moment yes uh, when you go into the health food shops there are all these different types of mushroom coffee you can have and mushroom yes. tea and um, there's also a big psychedelic research movement going on yes and and people it seems to me at least people are getting much more into foraging and learning about mushrooms. And I think they are. I think yeah. they, there's certainly a swing back to yeah. looking at the proper way that we used to live. I call it the proper way. The way we used to live and forage and so on. Mm. You can't really do it in the same no. extent. But collecting wild mushrooms is one of the only ways you can do it. You know, you can't go around shooting animals and things. And so they're, a nice they're, they're immensely important as that they are a throwback. The latest archaeological discovery, they've, they found the jawbone of a, a, a woman who died 18,700 years ago in Spain. Mm. And in between her teeth was a mushroom spore. Wow. So they know... 18,000 years ago, they were eating mushrooms. Wow. And we That's think, incredible. I think, I know what mushroom it is, I think it's what we call seps, the porcini of Italy, yes. Steinpilz of Germany, yeah. sep of France. Penny bun is English name, but no one ever uses it. Have you done much foraging abroad? 
Yes, yes. What's it like being... When I go... I, my grandma lives in Spain. And when I go to Spain to see her, I am so always find it such a thrill, all the different plants in the garden. I don't know what yes. any of them are. No. But it's amazing. Yes. Well, mushrooms are terrifically popular in Spain. So in the season, everybody goes wild for mushrooms. It's only the British who somehow lost that foraging connection in Italy and France and Spain, all over Eastern Europe and yeah. Russia. They've maintained it right yes. through. We somehow, somewhere along the line, we lost it. And only a very few people forage for mushrooms. Yes. And basically only field mushrooms, really. But it's, it's growing. And, I mean, the other thing is I'm involved with a thing. There's a medicinal mushroom conference wow. every year. It's in November sometime. And I'm involved in that. And they're working on medicinal mushrooms and actually growing them. Mm. So you can go there and you can buy extracts or actual mushrooms um, from the people who grow them. And then they do talks on how they grow them. Yeah. And other people do talks on ancient medicinal practices, wow. Chinese medicine, yes. and so on, and how they've been used for thousands of years yeah. in these countries. And again, we'd, we'd lost it, I guess. I'd, when I finished doing my English mushroom book, which was published in 1981, I think, I then went over to America mm. and did a, a book on American mushrooms. And in fact, there's a lot of interest there. And it... It centres on the immigrant... I mean, America is all immigrants, yeah. of course. Yeah. The immigrants who came in from Poland and mm. Russia and, and so on, because it wasn't only... The English immigrants, of course, don't do it, but yeah. all the other immigrants do. Yeah. So when you join a mushroom club in New Jersey or something, you discover yeah. that half the people have parents who came from somewhere in Middle Europe or somewhere. That's yeah. quite amazing. And... I'm just thinking about the, the people who will be listening. What is one of the best things that mushrooms have taught you? Goodness. That is, a, is an earful, isn't it? What is a, Going out hunting mushrooms, you, you go into the woods, you may be with other people, but essentially you're on your own, wandering about, and then you, you spot a mushroom and it tunes your mind to look in a different way. So you start looking on the scale of mushrooms. Yeah. And once you've found one, you discover there are loads more yeah. that you'd possibly at first, in the first few steps, you'd walk past. Yeah. So your your scale of interest is down to things two or three inches yeah. high. And you become perhaps more closely associated with actual woodland life and the growing of it. And it's lovely, lovely. Yeah. You enjoy it. I and mean, of course, the amazing colours, amazing yeah. forms, actually very beautiful things in their own right without talking about eating them or, or anything else. Oh, that's another cat. Hello. That's Bonnie, come to talk to you. Hello, love. Their brother and sister. Oh, well, you've got two. Bringing our little chat to a close. What's next on your, on your agenda? Well, I'm still working on mushrooms. I never stop working no. on mushrooms. Um, I'm, at the back of my mind, I'm wondering if I should have done a book or should do a book on poisonous and edible mushrooms to help people. So uh, a book where you, you do a, 
an article on an edible mushroom, but yeah. you can also link it to the nearest poisonous mushroom so that people can see the one can that looks flick similar in the book. That'd be yeah. If I make a book of that, and I've also um, partly written an autobiography, so um, neither in any sort of usable form at the moment. Yeah. In in process. Yeah. 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 Lovely. And your your latest, you've got an, an Instagram. Yes. Which is fantastic, and and I will link to it in the article and on on the, on the on the blog. What about and you've got a YouTube channel which has some really fantastic videos. Yes. Really great fun. I mean, over the years with yeah. friends, we've tended to do little bits of filming, um, of gathering mushrooms. I yeah. mean, there's a whole sequence on morels, which are quite difficult to find, but absolutely delicious. And we went out and collected a load of morels and cooked them and did the whole thing and filmed the whole thing. It's wonderful Just video. for fun. I love it, just for fun. And your new book yes. is out in... When did you say? April, April next April year. April 2nd, I think the actual date is. Wow, April 2nd, 2020. Yeah. And what's it called again? It's called The Worldwide Forager. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, I really look forward to reading it. Uh, the more people I mention to, uh, that I'm going to meet with you and talk to, the more people say, oh, yes, I'm a really big fan of Roger. I've got his book. So you must have touched a lot of people with your writing and your research. Congratulations. Thank you very yeah, much. And, and, and Wonderful keep, keep going. to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Keep going. It's the only way <laughs> I'm going to die with my boots on, is what I say. Oh, Roger. Okay, thank you so much, Roger. It's been an absolute pleasure and... Um, I hope you all enjoy listening. I know I've really enjoyed chatting to Roger. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wellspring. I'm Emma Mills and I'm absolutely thrilled that you're joining me here in these fascinating conversations with interesting people. Please do subscribe over at emmamillslondon.com to stay updated on the latest episodes and if you have any comments or requests for people for me to go and speak to you can leave me a comment or send me a message over at the emmamillslondon.com website. Thank you again for listening and have a fantastic day.